This is day 31 of our daily Bible reading. Today we are reading Numbers chapters 4 through 7 and Psalm 31. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us to your presence and to your holy book. We ask, Lord, that you would bless this time, that you would cause it to be a refreshing for us, to cause our spirits to be at peace, and that we can bask in your presence. Please help us to see the truth and the beauty that is in your word. It has been preserved for us, for our instruction, and for our hope. May we see that for what it really is today. Please bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Take a census of the descendants of Kohath from among the sons of Levi, by their families, by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upwards, even to fifty years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tent of meeting. This is the work of the descendants of Kohath in the tent of meeting, concerning the most holy things. When the camp sets out, Aaron and his sons shall go in, and they shall take down the veil of the screen, and cover the ark of the testimony with it. And they shall lay a covering of porpoise skin on it, and shall spread over it a cloth of pure blue, and shall insert its poles. Over the table of the bread of the presence, they shall also spread a cloth of blue, and put on it the dishes and the pans and the sacrificial bowls and the jars for the drink offering, and the continual bread shall be on it. They shall spread over them a cloth of scarlet material, and cover the same with a covering of porpoise skin, and they shall insert its poles. Then they shall take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand for the light, along with its lamps and the snuffers, and its trays and all its oil vessels, by which they serve it. And they shall put it and all its utensils in a covering of porpoise skin, and shall put it on the carrying bars. Over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with a covering of porpoise skin, and shall insert its poles, and they shall take all the utensils of service with which they serve in the sanctuary, and put them in a blue cloth, and cover them with a covering of porpoise skin, and put them on the carrying bars. Then they shall take away the ashes from the altar, and spread a purple cloth over it. They shall also put on it all its utensils by which they serve in connection with it, the firepans, the forks and shovels and the basins, all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread a cover of porpoise skin over it and insert its poles. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is to set out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, so that they will not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. The responsibility of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, is the oil for the light and the fragrant incense and the continual grain offering and the anointing oil. The responsibility of all the tabernacle and all that is in it with the sanctuary and its furnishings. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Do not let the tribe of the families of the Kohathites be cut off from among the Levites. But do this to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy objects. Aaron and his sons shall go in and assign each of them to his work and to his load. But they shall not go in to see the holy objects, even for a moment, or they will die. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take a census of the sons of Gershon also, by their fathers' households, by their families, from thirty years and upwards to fifty years old. You shall number them, all who enter to perform the service to do the work in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites, in serving and in carrying. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting, with its covering and the covering of porpoise skin that is on top of it, and the screen for the doorway of the tent of meeting, and the hangings of the court, and the screen for the doorway of the gate of the court, which is around the tabernacle and the altar, and their cords, and all the equipment for their service. And all that is to be done, they shall perform. All the service of the sons of the Gershonites, in all their loads and in all their work, shall be performed at the command of Aaron and his sons. And you shall assign to them as a duty all their loads. This is the service of the families of the sons of the Gershonites in the tent of meeting. And their duties shall be under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. As for the sons of Merari, you shall number them by their families, by their fathers' households. From thirty years and upward, even to fifty years old, you shall number them. Everyone who enters the service to do the work of the tent of meeting. Now this is the duty of their loads for all their service in the tent of meeting. The boards of the tabernacle and its bars and its pillars and its sockets and the pillars around the court and their sockets and their pegs and their cords with all their equipment and with all their service. And you shall assign each man by name the items he is to carry. This is the service of the families of the sons of Merari, according to all their service in the tent of meeting, under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So Moses and Aaron and the leaders of the congregation numbered the sons of the Kohathites by their families and by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upward, even to fifty years old, everyone who entered the service for work in the tent of meeting. Their numbered men by their families were 2,750. These are the numbered men of the Kohathite families, everyone who was serving in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses. The numbered men of the sons of Gershon by their families and by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upward, even to fifty years old, Everyone who entered the service for work in the tent of meeting, their numbered men by their families, by their fathers' households, were 2,630. These are the numbered men of the families of the sons of Gershon, 
everyone who was serving in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord. The numbered men of the families of the sons of Merari, by their families, by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upward, even to fifty years old, everyone who entered the service for work in the tent of meeting. Their numbered men, by their families, were three thousand two hundred. These are the numbered men of the families of the sons of Merari, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses. All the numbered men of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron and the leaders of Israel numbered, by their families and by their fathers' households, for thirty years and upward, even to fifty years old, everyone who could enter to do the work of service and the work of carrying in the tent of meeting, their numbered men were eight thousand five hundred eighty. According to the commandment of the Lord through Moses, they were numbered, everyone by his serving or carrying. Thus these were his numbered men, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper and everyone having a discharge and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. You shall send away both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp, so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. The sons of Israel did so, and sent them outside the camp, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Thus the sons of Israel did. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins of mankind, acting unfaithfully against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess his sins which he has committed, and he shall make restitution in full for his wrong, and add to it one-fifth of it, and give it to him whom he has wronged. But if the man has no relative to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution which is made for the wrong must go to the Lord, for the priest, besides the ram of atonement, by which atonement is made for him. Also, every contribution pertaining to all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, whom they offer to the priest, shall be his. So every man's holy gifts shall be his. Whatever any man gives to the priest, it becomes his. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, If any man's wife goes astray, and is unfaithful to him, and a man has intercourse with her, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and she is undetected, although she has defiled herself, and there is no witness against her, and she has not been caught in the act, if a spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife when she has defiled herself, or if a spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife when she has not defiled herself, the man shall then bring his wife to the priest, and shall bring as an offering for her one-tenth of an ephah of barley meal, 
He shall not pour oil on it, nor put frankincense on it, for it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of memorial, a reminder of iniquity. Then the priest shall bring her near, and have her stand before the Lord. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthenware vessel. And he shall take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle, and put it into the water. The priest shall then have the woman stand before the Lord, and let the hair of the woman's head go loose, and place the grain offering of memorial in her hands, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And in the hand of the priest is to be the water of bitterness that brings a curse. The priest shall have her take an oath, and shall say to the woman, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone astray into uncleanness, being under the authority of your husband, be immune to this water of bitterness that brings a curse. If you, however, have gone astray, being under the authority of your husband, and if you have defiled yourself, and a man other than your husband has had intercourse with you, then the priest shall have the woman swear with the oath of the curse. And the priest shall say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people, by the Lord's making your thigh waste away and your abdomen swell. And this water that brings a curse shall go into your stomach and make your abdomen swell and your thigh waste away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. The priest shall then write these curses on a scroll, and he shall wash them off into the water of bitterness. Then he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings a curse, so that the water which brings a curse will go into her and cause bitterness. The priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand, and he shall wave the grain offering before the Lord and bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the grain offering as its memorial offering and offer it up in smoke on the altar. And afterward he shall make the woman drink the water. When he has made her drink the water, then it shall come about, if she has defiled herself and has been unfaithful to her husband, that the water which brings a curse will go into her and cause bitterness and her abdomen will swell, and her thigh will waste away, and the woman will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, she will then be free and conceive children. This is the law of jealousy. When a wife, being under the authority of her husband, goes astray and defiles herself, or when a spirit of jealousy comes over a man, and he is jealous of his wife. He shall then make the woman stand before the Lord, and the priest shall apply all this law to her. Moreover, the man will be free from guilt, but that woman shall bear her guilt. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, When a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord. He shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, 
whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine, from the seeds even to the skin. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks of hair on his head grow long. All the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near to a dead person. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister, when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation he is holy to the Lord. But if a man dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his dedicated head of hair, then he shall shave his head on the day when he becomes clean. He shall shave it on the seventh day. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest, to the doorway of the tent of meeting. The priest shall offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and make atonement for him, concerning his sin because of the dead person. In that same day he shall consecrate his head, and shall dedicate to the Lord his days as a Nazarite, and shall bring a male lamb a year old for a guilt offering, but the former days will be void because his separation was defiled. Now this is the law of the Nazarite, when the days of his separation are fulfilled. He shall bring the offering to the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb a year old without defect for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb a year old without defect for a sin offering, and one ram without defect for a peace offering and a basket of unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers spread with oil, along with their grain offering and their drink offering. Then the priest shall present them before the Lord, and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. He shall also offer the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, together with a basket of unleavened cakes. The priest shall likewise offer its grain offering and its drink offering. The Nazarite shall then shave his dedicated head of hair at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and take the dedicated hair of his head and put it on the fire, which is under the sacrifice of peace offerings. The priest shall take the ram's shoulder when it has been boiled, and one unleavened cake out of the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his dedicated hair. Then the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. It is holy for the priest, together with the breast offered by waving and the thigh offered by lifting up. And afterward, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows his offering to the Lord according to his separation, in addition to what else he can afford, according to his vow which he takes. So he shall do according to the law of his separation.
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. Now on the day that Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it and consecrated it with all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. He anointed them and consecrated them also. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's households, made an offering. They were the leaders of the tribes. They were the ones who were over the numbered men. When they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two leaders and an ox for each one, then they presented them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these things from them, that they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting, and you shall give them to the Levites, to each man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service, and four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But he did not give any to the sons of Kohath, because theirs was the service of the holy objects, which they carried on the shoulder. The leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed, so the leaders offered their offering before the altar. Then the Lord said to Moses, Let them present their offering, one leader each day, for the dedication of the altar. Now the one who presented his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Amminadab, of the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver dish, whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Nashan, the son of Abinadab. On the second day, Nethanel, the son of Zuar, leader of Issachar, presented an offering. He presented as his offering one silver dish, whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of ten shekels, full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, 
five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Nethanel, the son of Zuar. On the third day, it was Eliab, the son of Helan, leader of the sons of Zebulun. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs one year old. This was the offering of Eliab, the son of Helan. On the fourth day, it was Elizer, the son of Shador, leader of the sons of Reuben. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of ten shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Elizer, the son of Shadur. On the fifth day, it was Shelemiel, the son of Zerishadai, leader of the children of Simeon. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of ten shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Shelemiel, the son of Zerishadai. On the sixth day, it was Eliasaph, the son of Duel, leader of the sons of Gad. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bowl, one ram, one male lamb, one year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Eliasaph, the son of Duel. On the seventh day, it was Elishama, the son of Amihud, leader of the sons of Ephraim. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 
both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of ten shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs one year old. This was the offering of Elishama, the son of Amihud. On the eighth day, it was Gamaliel, the son of Padazer, leader of the sons of Manasseh. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of ten shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Padazer. On the ninth day, it was Abidon, the son of Gideoni, leader of the sons of Benjamin. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of ten shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Abidon, the son of Gideoni. On the tenth day it was Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai, leader of the sons of Dan. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bowl, one ram, one male lamb, one year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day, it was Pagiel, the son of Okran, leader of the sons of Asher. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Okran.
On the twelfth day, it was Ahira, the son of Enan, leader of the sons of Naphtali. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb one year old for a burnt offering, and one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs one year old. This was the offering of Ahira, the son of Enon. This was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed. Twelve silver dishes, twelve silver bowls, twelve gold pans, each silver dish weighing 130 shekels, and each bowl 70. All the silver of the utensils was 2,400 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The twelve gold pans full of incense, weighing ten shekels apiece, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the pans, 120 shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offering, 12 bulls. All the rams, 12. The male lambs one year old with their grain offering, 12. And all the male goats for a sin offering, 12. And all the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offerings, 24 bulls. All the rams, 60. The male goats, 60. The male lambs one year old, 60. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. Now when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Testimony, from between the two cherubim. So he spoke to him. Psalm 31 For the Choir Director A Psalm of David In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul, and you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity, and my body has wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors. 
and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you, before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Okay, I would be lying if I said that this was an easy reading today. This was grueling, and I am exhausted just from reading this. But we have finished arguably one of the most difficult portions of Scripture in the Bible. Some of what is being said here is painstaking, but is accurately recorded for us as to what happened in these times. Chapter 4 is outlining what each of the three branches of the Levites are committed to do. The families of Kohath have a specific responsibility. The families of Gershon have a specific responsibility. And the families of Merari have a specific responsibility when it comes to the tabernacle. And so they were numbered, and it gives us a number at the end, which is 8,580 people that are dedicated only to handling the tabernacle. That's a lot of people for one building, but it makes the work light for everyone and gives everyone a sense of personal responsibility for doing the job. But we also have to not forget that this is just at the present time. The tabernacle is going to be erected for a long time before the temple is built in the days of Solomon. So hundreds of years are going to go by with them using this tabernacle. And we can safely say that they are not always going to number 8,580. Sometimes maybe more, sometimes it may be less. But nonetheless, they have enough people to get the job done. So now that they have their responsibilities as Levites, then chapter 5 moves to how people are to be sanctified. 
How are people called to be holy? So the first thing that God addresses is how some things are going to be designated as holy, and it outlines how they are made holy, what is considered to be holy, and what belongs to the priest and what doesn't. The remainder of chapter 5 is designated for if a wife is unfaithful to her husband. Now, what I find interesting about this is that there's no talk about the man being unfaithful, but it does talk about how the woman is unfaithful and what she has to do under the sight of God and under the leadership of her husband. It mentions here specifically that a wife is under the authority of her husband. The dynamic between a man and a woman is different in their roles. God has given a specific designation for each one, but they are not unequal. God views men and women equally. However, in the hierarchy of things, the woman is under the leadership of the man, or at least is supposed to be. But just like the curse that happened in the Garden of Eden, it said that the woman's desire is going to be for the husband. That doesn't mean that she's going to desire her husband physically, or even emotionally. It's saying that she is going to covet the leadership of the man. And that is a dangerous place to be. But in the hierarchy of things, the woman is under the authority of her husband, and then the man is under the direct authority of God. There is no one to protect the man. Man is responsible directly to God for his conduct for his wife's conduct, and how he has led his family. So while it doesn't completely spell it out here, does the man get off scot-free if he is unfaithful? Absolutely not, because he's going to have to stand before God and explain himself. But in this culture, if the wife is suspected even of being unfaithful, then the man can go through these proceedings to see if it is legitimate or not. This is a promise that is being made here. So if she drinks this solution, this bitter water, and it doesn't make her stomach raw and painful, then she's clean in the sight of God. And God allows this to happen this way. But if she is guilty of the charge, it mentions that she will waste away, which is kind of unclear as to what that means, because it literally says that she will fall. Now, I don't know if that means that she is going to have miscarriages or she's not going to be able to conceive anymore or anything like that. But ultimately, this existed because God wanted to control the family dynamic. God didn't want people living in jealousy amongst themselves. We shouldn't be suspicious of our spouses if we truly trust them. He wanted his people to be holy. He didn't want his family life to be corrupted. He didn't want broken homes. And that's important. God cares about what's going on in our homes. Not only between a husband and a wife, which are now one flesh, but also the children are watching all of this. And they need to be in a conducive, positive environment where the husband and wife have a symbiotic relationship. Then chapter 6 goes into what is called the Nazarite vow. Now, there's a couple of famous Nazarites in the Bible. A couple that come to mind immediately for me would be 
Samson because he allowed his hair to grow long. He did not ever eat any grapes. But he was a unique one because he was designated as a Nazarite from birth. This was typically a choice that someone made rather than it being made for them by birth. But besides Samson, I can think of the prophet Samuel being one. I can think of John the Baptist being a Nazarite. And even at one point, the Apostle Paul took a Nazarite vow, but only briefly. But these are some of the more famous people that took a Nazarite vow. And ultimately, the word Nazarite is a play on the Hebrew verb for separation, for abstinence. What this vow represented was a personal decision to live a holy life, whether for a short or a long period of time, and it was to focus on the things of God. And I think there's something very special about that. I'm not saying that we need to do it ourselves, but to purposely set things aside so that you can serve the Lord with gladness, I think is important. We certainly can learn from this. And then at the end of chapter 6, we have the beautiful benediction, which we often call the prayer of Aaron. But Aaron didn't make this up. He was instructed by God to pray in this specific way. And I forgot that part. I forgot that God told him what to say. And what's strange is I always think it's Aaron that made this up. And yet it's not. So I don't know why we call it the prayer of Aaron when it's not really the prayer of Aaron. It's really the prayer of God for his own people. And then we have chapter 7, which for the life of me, if I may be completely straightforward, I don't know why the Bible does this. Why does it do it in this fashion where it says each person brought the exact same thing, but it has to give the long paragraph for each person? Why couldn't it have just have named the people and said each one of them brought this, this, and this and saved me 12 different paragraphs? I don't know. But ultimately, it's in here for a reason. God put it here, and I have to be okay with that. But the one thing to note, though, is the uniformity in the gifts. They all gave the same gift, and that was intentional. They came as one unified people to the tabernacle of God. And there's something to certainly appreciate about that. But now that we've gone through the consecration of the tabernacle, we're going into a more action-oriented portion of the book of Numbers, to where beyond the dedication of the tabernacle, we're now going into the history portion of Numbers, where we are going to see new things happen that are beyond the tabernacle at this point. So I think we can all agree that the next portion is going to be more engaging than it has been last few days. But now let's talk about Psalm 31. This is another lament of David's, where he is distressed yet again with not only the things of this world, but also the people in it. There are people who are putting him in danger. He is in physical distress. He recognizes his finiteness. He is only mortal. He has limitations. And so he petitions to the only one who is able to deliver him, who is beyond these physical limitations, someone who is sovereign over all creation. 
and he asks God to silence his enemies and to deliver him. And while he is asking God, he remembers who he is and he praises him for who he is. And like he always does, he exhorts, he instructs, he petitions for the reader or the listener of his psalm to do the exact same thing, to love the Lord and be strong in courage and in faith. But an overarching theme of this psalm is kind of what you would see here in verse 5. It looks like this could be prophetic in nature as well, because Jesus says something like this, doesn't he? Into your hand I commit my spirit. In some of the gospel accounts, this is what we see Jesus say as his final statement before he dies. But there's also something to note here about what kind of life Jesus lived. He committed his whole life to God, and he did that as an illustration for us to follow, as an example, a role model. Committing one's life to God is the epitome of faith, and he demonstrated that. Jesus made the supreme commitment to God, not only in the way he lived his life, but he took his life to the cross, and by his death we are cleansed. Such beauty there is in this. And so the instruction comes to us today. Is our life fully committed to God? Because that is a life that is blessed. A life that is committed to God will be blessed. If it is not committed to God, there is no blessing. You may not be blessed if you are not committed to God. His grace is still sovereign. He can do as he pleases. But more often than not, He does not respond when we act sinfully. So I challenge you today to purify your heart and your mind in God's service from this day on and forward. The scripture to memorize for today is going to be Psalm chapter 31, verse 23. O love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. He exacts vengeance on those who act arrogantly. But those that love the Lord with a genuine heart, he preserves them, he protects them, he keeps us safe. And if he is for us, there is no one who can be against us and stand a chance. With that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.